Filthy Henry, the Fairy Detective, Chapter 12. Filthy Henry and Shelley stood outside a bookstore on O'Connell Street, the main thoroughfare in Dublin City. The fairy detective was staring at the digital screen in the front window, scanning through the titles. His gaze fell on the last entry. He stared at it in disbelief. There, for all the world to see, was Dracula, somehow back in the best-selling list for the month. Shelley looked at him. So is this important then? she asked. Not really sure, Filthy Henry said, scratching at his chin thoughtfully. I mean, it doesn't really mean anything. All the buzz around vampires these days could have sparked an interest in his book. Sometimes if a new vampire movie or show comes out, people like to read the original tale. Could be just a fluke. A fluke like me having a talking cat and needing to talk with the only fairy detective in Dublin to find her. Filthy Henry looked at Shelley from the corner of his eye. There it was again. That feeling. The one that hinted that somehow unrelated things were connected in some way. Just not in an obvious, hit you over the head with a hammer sort of way. It was a hard one to ignore. But right then, Filthy Henry was finding another feeling just as hard to ignore. Guilt. At the mention of Kitty Purry's name, the fairy detective felt the weight of the world on his shoulders. He found something very interesting to look at in the store window trying to avoid eye contact with Shelley. Uh, about your cat, Filthy Henry started. Oh? Yeah. Oh. This feeling of guilt was extremely unusual for the fairy detective. Generally, he did as he pleased, and very rarely treated a client with the proper respect they deserved. To him, clients were just walking money machines, which was probably why most of the fairy and human world had a grudge with him in some shape or form. Yet talking to Shelley was undoing all his years of being genuinely unlikable, making him want to tell her the truth, even if the truth did run the risk of hurting her feelings. That in itself was unusual, the fact that he cared about someone else's feelings apart from his own. Filthy Henry took a deep breath to steady himself, stepped in between Shelley and the store window and looked directly into her eyes. Look, I uh, should have told you this sooner he said, feeling his face go red. I, uh, I found Kitty Purry. Shelley clapped her hands together with glee, her mouth forming the largest smile that Filthy Henry had ever seen, a smile of pure joy, if ever there was one. Really? she screeched. Where is she? How is she? The guilt was compounded even more. Well, uh, see, here's the thing. She may have departed, uh, in a manner of speaking. Or quit this life. It was the softest way he could think of to break the news to her. Filthy Henry rarely had to come up with a nice way to deliver bad news. His favourite approach was just to break the news and collect the fee for closing the case. Mainly because he knew what was about to happen next and generally tried to avoid it as much as possible. Shelley's eyes started to water instantly, tears forming like emotional dew. Her bottom lip quivered. All the colour had drained from her face. She's dead? Filthy Henry nodded once. He looked down at the toes of his shoes and stared hard at them. How long have you known? 
Shelley asked, tears streaming down her face. Once the waterworks were turned on, even the blackest of hearts could feel strings being plucked, knowing deep down the truth was required to make the tears stop. What surprised Filthy Henry most was at that moment he could feel a lump forming in his throat at the sight of Shelley visibly upset. He wanted nothing more than to ease her pain, or at least make her stop crying in front of him. All the crying was making him feel like the worst person in the world, which he liked to think he was not. At least he tended to live in hope that there was somebody worse than him in the world. Somewhere. Only a little while, Filthy Henry lied with practiced ease, slowly looking up from his shoes to the tear-filled eyes of Shelley. I found her in the warehouse with those two bodies. Suddenly a slap blindsided him completely, causing a bright light to flash across his vision and obscure the world for a few seconds. A ringing sound hummed away in his left ear. Filthy Henry was pretty sure one of his fillings had been knocked loose as well. It was the mother of all slaps, the most painful one he had ever gotten in his entire life. Which was saying something, considering how rude he could be. Nothing killed a conversation quicker than a slap to the chops. Shelley stared at him for a couple of seconds before turning and marching away, pushing through the crowd. Filthy Henry watched her go while he rubbed his cheek to help ease the stinging sensation. But the slap itself was not what was hurting him the most. Deep down in the pit of his stomach, the fairy detective knew that he had just hurt the first person he had ever considered a friend. Bunty Dooley stared at Filthy Henry. You know you're just an idiot. Yeah, it's been said before. On the grand scale of big, thick idiot, you're basically sitting on top of the list. That was the problem with Bunty Dooley. For all her visually stunning eye appeal, she spoke straight. No wordplay. No double meaning. If she thought you were acting like a moron, she would tell you. And leave no room for misinterpretation. Should misinterpretation occur, it was entirely on the part of the listener, and would no doubt lead to more direct attacks on a person's character. But Bunty Dooley's was the only pub in Dublin open to serve real drink so early in the day. Meaning, in order to get a drink, a minor dressing down would have to be tolerated. It was either that, or be left alone with his thoughts, something Filthy Henry really wanted to avoid. When casting a spotlight on your own soul, it was always the risk that you mightn't like what you see. Can I just get another drink, please? The fairy detective asked, pushing forward his empty glass. It's been one of those mornings. Bunty Dooley opened the bottle of fairy ale and slowly filled up the glass with a golden fluid. You're lucky I even let you back in here after your little stunt yesterday, the sea said. Have you any idea how badly I slept last night? Filthy Henry rubbed a hand over his face. The sting from Shelley's slap earlier was still hanging around for good measure. He reached over and picked up the refilled glass, while Bunty was still pouring the drink out, and took a sip from it. I know. I'll owe you all right, he said gruffly. It's the same with all you fairy races. I ask for help, and end up being in debt somehow. Nobody ever seems to owe me favours for some reason. You know at the minute you just sound like a whining baby. Filthy Henry downed the rest of his drink in one mouthful, wincing at the taste of it, burning the back of his throat. He looked across the counter at Bunty through watering eyes. Alcohol-induced tears. Thankfully not emotional ones. At least that's what he hoped. Well, it's early yet, 
Don't rule anything out. So what did my little bag of dust tell you then? Bunty reached under the bar counter and pulled out a glass jam jar with a metal lid screwed onto it. Inside the jar, a small blue ball of light pulsed, each pulse matching a gentle hum that seemed to be coming from the container itself. She placed it down on the bar counter beside his drink and walked away. So you managed to make a wisp from it then? he asked, looking at the light in the jar. Don't you open that thing in here? she called back to him, ignoring his question completely. The lunchtime rush is about to start. I don't want you depressing my clientele. Filthy Henry picked up the jar, put on his coat, then dropped the jar into his trench coat pocket. He stood up and walked towards the front door, leaving the pub without saying a word, and made a beeline for home. Wisps fascinated Filthy Henry, mainly because the energies required to create one were way beyond anything he would ever be able to achieve himself. If somehow he got lucky enough to have the right amount of magic stored up to cast the creation spell, the physical drain would have killed him, meaning the overall benefit of creating a wisp in the first place was greatly outweighed by the negative factor of not being alive afterwards to use said wisp. Which is why he had needed Bunty Dooley even though she was less than happy about the fact. The fairy detective knew that he would have to buy her a present of some sort to thank her, which would in no way count to paying off his debt with her for performing the magic in the first place. But he had needed the wisp created, and gun to his head trusted nobody else to do the job for him. The problem with artificially created wisps was that they did not last as long as the genuine article. A wisp spotted out in the wild was usually a soul that did not want to move on but had no idea how to take on a decent incorporeal form. They just drifted about forever, making alien junkies believe that the bogs of Ireland were UFO hotspots. Wisps created from the remains of a deceased creature had a much shorter life expectancy, making communicating with them all the more tricky. Every ounce of energy the wisp used to speak shortened the time it would remain in existence. Filthy Henry sat on the couch in his apartment and tapped the side of the jar. The wisp inside flew around the glass like a trapped fly. In this state, held forever in a little jam jar prison, the magically created being could live for a couple of months, although months of existence as something that could hardly be considered decent. Wisps were only vaguely aware that the world was around them and had a strange obsession with occupying trees. Filthy Henry knew the kinder thing to do would be to open the jar and begin the questioning, expend the life force to allow the soul to move on. Even if it was a stoker that had broken the rules and didn't deserve the bliss of the afterlife. The fairy detective carefully placed the jar down on the coffee table and picked up a salt shaker he had brought in from the kitchen. With precisely no pump and zero flare, he sprinkled a circle of salt around the jar, making sure that there were no broken sections. Filthy Henry loved salt, the most universal seasoning ever, useful for adding flavour to a dish or containing a spirit in one location. With the circle completely drawn, Filthy Henry unscrewed the jar lid, tossing it down onto the table. Without waiting to be asked, the wisp shot out from the mouth of the jar like an electric greyhound. It rose several inches before hitting an invisible wall, little white lines scattering through the air. The wisp dove towards the jar, banking to the left at the last moment, and once again connected with the invisible barrier. On the tabletop, the salt granules moved slightly, More white cracks ran through the air for a second. The barrier held. 
I'll drink your body clean of blood, the wisp said, as it flew off in another direction, once again hitting the unseen wall. Yeah, that's sort of what I wanted to talk to you about, Filthy Henry said, settling back into the couch and putting his feet up on the table. He made sure that the salt circle was not disturbed. You've been a bad little stoker, haven't you? The wisp raced around the invisible barrier, cracks appearing and vanishing in its wake. You're not going to get out of there any time soon, so why not just calm down, answer a few questions for me, then I'll break the barrier and let you move on. Like a child coming down from a sugar rush, the wisp spun around and drifted towards the jar. It floated over the glass opening, pulsating with a blue light. Really? You have my word, Filthy Henry said, holding up his hand and making the Cub Scout sign with three fingers. Once you answer a few of my questions, you'll be free to move on. Wisps lacked facial features, but Filthy Henry imagined that the magical creature was giving him a look of disbelief, trying its best to find a trick hidden in the offer, but failing to. The problem now was time. All the attempts at escaping had burned up valuable energy, and the wisp didn't have any to spare, meaning a lot of questions were going to have to get bumped up the list of priority. How long have you been operating in Dublin? And how many people have you drained in defiance of the rules? Filthy Henry asked, staring directly at the floating orb of light. And lying to me won't get you out of there any sooner. Just pointing that out. The wisp bobbed up and down in the air. I've only been a vampire for two days, and those idiots in the warehouse were my first kills. Initiation into the Brotherhood of Blood. Filthy Henry frowned. Stokers were known for having many interesting traits. Sleeping in coffins, ordering garlic bread in a restaurant without the garlic, wearing sunglasses while sitting in a nightclub that was so poorly lit the bathroom signs were in braille. Forming stupidly named groups was definitely not up there on the list. It was not even on the list. Stokers were like every other fairy race. They liked to keep their heads down. So to be told that there was a group of stokers in Dublin operating under some ridiculous name was like being told that the internet could be downloaded onto a three and a half inch floppy disk. In other words, highly unlikely. So you'd only been a vampire for a couple of days. What was the name of the one that turned you? The wisp raced around the barrier, cracks spreading through the air. I don't know. He was a posh-sounding twat. Just came up to me in a pub one night and told me all about this vampire lark. I thought he was talking out of his hole, but then he showed me his fangs. Plus, he moved so fast, like, really fast. Said that all I had to do was just one little job for him after he turned me. That was it. Payment would have been made in full. All I had to do was drink those two guys dry of every drop of blood. With a wobble, the wisps stopped moving, hovering at eye level with the fairy detective. Um, can you see my feet? The wisp asked in a concerned tone. I think I may have lost my feet. Not my shoes, just to be clear, but my, my actual feet. Uh, they should have ten toes, maybe five on each foot. At least that's what I remember. Filthy Henry scratched his chin. This was the problem with magically created wisps. Unlike the ones that form naturally, the type created from spells did not make the transition to incorporeal form smoothly. They still thought they had a body, and they were just as they had always been. Right up until the moment they winked out of the world. Don't worry, I'll help you find them before you move on, Filthy Henry said, thinking carefully about his next question. 
So far he had found out that a posh vampire had turned some drunk in a pub into a stoker for the sole purpose of killing two random humans in a warehouse. The mere act of telling a human about stokers was yet more rule-breaking. Aside from the knowledge that the killer had only recently been turned, not a lot of new information had been uncovered. But why would a stoker make a new vampire solely just to break the rules? That made no sense at all. Can you remember what the vampire who turned you looked like? The wisp pulsated, blue light illuminating the room for a moment. Nah, posh twat like I said. Spoke all, well, posh like. At first I thought he was taking the mickey to be honest. Right up until he started necking on me. Seriously, have I really lost my feet? Is that normal for vampires? I do think he was wearing a hat though. Like that American president fella used to wear. How are you going to help me with this foot situation I'm in? A strange idea popped into Filthy Henry's head, based on years of experience with stokers and their dietary habits. One thing a stoker never ever did was completely drain a body of all the blood. Something to do with causing the heart to melt, and accidentally getting sucked through the opening the vampire was drinking from. It was the stoker equivalent of indigestion. Literally getting heartburn. So before they started operating blood donation clinics, a vampire would drink right up to the second last beat of the heart and then let the victim die naturally. Insofar as you could count death by massive blood loss, natural. So why would two nobodies in a warehouse have to be completely drained? Unless there was something in them that meant the blood was evidence. Something in the blood. What uh, did the blood taste like? Filthy Henry asked sitting up straight and leaning in closer to the wisp. It was like nothing I've ever tasted. I thought it would be disgusting, but once I got the scent of fresh, warm human blood, all my doubts disappeared. The wisp started to glow brighter as the emotions attached to the memory burned up more energy. Filthy Henry noticed that there were tendrils of magical smoke drifting off the orb. It was using up more of its time. It tasted like cookie dough ice cream mixed with maple syrup. I couldn't wait to start on the second moron once the first one was empty. You know, I think I even licked my lips afterwards. That's how tasty it was. Suddenly the wisp shot straight up into the air and did a little flip of joy. More tendrils of smoke were coming off it, signifying that the energy binding it together was rapidly running out. It only had minutes left. But the fairy detective did not really care about this because the wisp had given him a big clue. He had never tasted blood himself, but conversations with stokers over the decades had enlightened his knowledge on the subject. Human blood tasted nothing like cookie dough ice cream. Human blood tasted like the world's best brewed cup of coffee. That was why vampires enjoyed it so much. Never had a stoker describe the taste in any other way. It didn't matter if it was O positive or A negative. It all tasted like coffee to them. Which meant that whatever else had gone down in that warehouse... The two victims had something a little extra coursing through their veins. Something that someone did not want to become common knowledge. What better way to hide such strange blood than to have a creature drink every last drop of it from their bodies? Here, the wisp said, as it floated down so it was eye level with Filthy Henry once more. Uh, I don't seem to have my hands either. I've only gone and lost my hands and my feet. Who are you anyway? It was losing its sense of self. At best, the wisp had twenty seconds left in this world before it moved on to the next. I'm Filthy Henry, 
the fairy detective said, reaching over and brushing away some of the salt. The wisp changed to a shade of blood red. The half-breed. He warned me about you. Said you're a con artist. You trick vampires. I'll drain you dry. It rushed straight towards him, growing smaller as more and more magical smoke came off it. With the salt circle broken, there was no barrier to prevent it from flying away from the table, directly at the fairy detective's head. He smiled as the ball of energy washed over his face, the last burst of magical power that had formed the wisp dissipating. As it passed over his head, the light in the room returned to normal, minus the blue glow cast by the wisp. See, Filthy Henry said to the empty room, rising up from the couch. Told you I'd let you move on. Filthy Henry, The Fairy Detective is a novel by Derek Power. Other Filthy Henry novels are currently available to buy on Amazon Kindle. This audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton.